you guys will take your Bibles and find Galatians chapter 5, we are going to conclude this series. I'm excited to uh, be with you again this morning after Ashton and Alan. I'm so grateful that you guys got to hear the word from the Lord from them. Um, they both did amazing jobs. I'm really grateful for their, uh, for their diligence and studying and, and, uh, and just really preaching effectively. Um, we're really, really blessed. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Maybe you want to try to say it to yourself. You can say it out loud even if you want to. Maybe you want to try to not look at the screen or not look at your Bible and see uh, how much has been committed to memory so far. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Very good. You felt like you were in vacation Bible school again, didn't you? Exactly. Self-control is the last on the list. And I believe there's a specific reason that it's at the end. It's a little different from the other virtues. Because in all the other virtues, we've, we first tried to see the evidence of each of these virtues in the character of God. But when you look at the meaning of this word self-control, it very much is tied to our relationship with sin. And so this one is different because God has no relationship with sin like we do. And so because God is holy, um, he, he, he is sinless, he doesn't have that, this kind of self-control as a part of his character as, as it's described and talked about here. Um, he is perfect holiness, and perfect holiness equals perfect control. And so God um, is in perfect control. God never runs off the rails. <laughs> God never is, is tempted by evil. And so this is a different kind of self-control that we're going to be talking about that, that specifically applies to us. And I'm, I'm going to share with you why I think this is sort of at the end. Um, I have right now a 15-year-old with a learner's permit. Yep. And lots of you have had uh, the same thing. And you know um, how scary that can be. And I want you to think and remember, if you've not yet done it, if you've not had the pleasure yet, you will. If you have, then you will identify with me a little bit. Is there anything in your whole life that is scarier than sitting in the passenger seat of a car for the first time and handing the keys over to a 15-year-old that's never driven a car before? Like, is there anything more scary in that moment for a parent than that because because what you're doing is is you're handing over control of something that is second nature for you you've been driving so long you can almost drive a car without thinking about it it's just it's just automatic but now all of a sudden you're in you're on the side of the car that has no steering wheel and has no brake pedal and you are handing the keys to the car over to this child who has never driven a vehicle before. Now, I, I know it gets better the more you do it. But I'm talking about that very first time. That's the experience I'm talking about. 
Like you, uh, it doesn't matter. Like put any movie or roller coaster or whatever that you might be scared of up against that. And I don't think that you will like, like put me on a million roller coasters and I won't be as afraid as I am in that moment. Because you're, you're giving up control of something for the very first time. There's no, um, that fear is real. And the reason that fear is so real for, for you in that moment is because you realize you have zero control of what happens to the car. You can't, um, you, you, you can't do anything. You, you can't steer it. You can't stop it. You can't speed it up. You can't do anything. You, you've given over complete control to somebody else. And that's, and that's a scary thing. So thinking about that picture, that's kind of what I want to use to give you a, a definition for, for self-control here. And you can write this down. Self-control is the ability to keep our hands on the steering wheel of our sinful desires. If you, if you want a definition of what that word means, I, I think this is a good, working, applicable definition that you say, what is, what is self-control as a virtue in the fruit of the Spirit? It's the ability to keep our hands on the wheel of our sinful desires. Of, of that struggle in those previous verses that talk about the struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. And we've already established that it is a struggle. So self-control is, is us being able to keep our hands on the wheel of those desires that are in us that we don't want to be in us anymore, but they still very much are. Um, if you were to get into a car and crank it up and push the gas and get on the road and go and just and drive with no hands, what's going to happen? You're going you're gonna to wreck. You're going to run off the road. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt somebody. And there's a couple of reasons that you can't drive with no hands. One is that your vehicle probably is not perfectly aligned. I've never ridden in a car, even a brand new car. You may think, oh, I'm brand new and it's got perfect front end alignment. Probably not. It doesn't matter. Even if it starts out pretty straight, you let go of the wheel and you never put your hands on that joker, it's going to run off the road eventually. Doesn't matter how new or how newly aligned the car is. It's, gonna, it, it, it's not perfectly straight. It can't maintain itself, right? The other reason you can't get your hands off the wheel is even if it were perfectly aligned, the road's not. Right? The road is not perfectly aligned, so you are going to come to a curve. The road isn't straight. The path isn't straight. And our life is very much like that. Our, that, that battle with sin is very much like that. We can't just let go of the wheel of self-control and expect to stay on the road. Because one, our alignment is messed up. Because we are still living in, in sin-cursed, fleshly bodies. We, we, we are still very much sinful people. And so we, we can't just let go of the wheel because our alignment will run us off the road. But also, the, the fact is true that life isn't a straight path, is it? There's all sorts of turns and curves that we have to navigate. And self-control is part of knowing how to navigate through those things. And so we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit in its entirety. And we said from the very beginning that we're, we're talking about one fruit that, that exhibits all of these virtues. Love 
And, and, and we said that love was first on the list, likely, because it's the one virtue that runs through all of them. You can't really experience any of them the way they're intended to be experienced without love. Love is a part of all of them. And then there's joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And we've talked about all of those. But then we come to self-control at the end. And, you know, I've already pointed out it's at the end. If love is first on the list because it's the core or the thread that runs through all of them, I believe that maybe Paul has self-control at the end of the list because it's the one that preserves all of the others. It is the one virtue that tells us when we're getting all of the other virtues out of balance. Um, there are two things that I think self-control does for us. I'm going to give you two like practical. This is, this is the function of self-control in our life. And you can write these down and we're going to talk about them. The first one, the first work of self-control in our life is that it keeps the good gifts of God good. It keeps the good gifts of God good. It it helps them stay good. Um, All of the virtues in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all of those are good things. Amen? Right? They are good things. They are gifts from God. But a good thing out of control quickly becomes a bad thing. Right? Right? And that's a principle that I think runs through all sorts of things in our life. Think about love, the goodness of love. Love, out of control, can turn into lots of destructive things. Love, out of control, can turn into obsession. It can become codependency. Romantic love, as good as it is and as, as, as perfectly as God designed it in creation... Out of control, it can become lust. It can create unhealthy passions in us that bring destruction. So love is a good thing. Love out of control can very much be a bad thing. Joy is the same way. Joy is a good thing, but out of control joy becomes chaos. Right? It can become wild chaos and disorder. Without control. Peace and patience are good things. And you say, well, how can, how can those get out of control? I think that peace, especially in my life, peace, if I'm not self-controlled in my peace, I'll become indifferent. I'll become apathetic with things. Or I'll become lethargic and lazy. Kindness and goodness are good things, but... An excess of those things, kindness in the lives of other people that's not controlled can become enablement. We can become so kind without self-control that we can actually lead people to a worse place than they already are. If we enable them by, by so much kindness with no control. Also, there's a kindness and goodness that if it's, if it's excessive, it comes across as not being genuine, right? 
I mean, think about, um, have you ever been at a restaurant where you had a server, maybe that was so over the top, kind and good, it just nauseated you because you knew they're just fishing for a good tip? Like, it's almost like, please leave me alone. You've refilled my drink eight times in the, in the first ten minutes I've been here. Like, please stop. It's just over and over and over. Or if you ever bought a car, the car salesman, oh, just overly nice and, and kind and just spreading it on thick to the point where it's like you know it's not real. It's just not genuine at all. Any, any of these characteristics, these are, these are good things. These are gifts that God has given us. But without self-control... In those things, they can quickly become bad things. Self-control stops us from taking the good gifts of God and making them bad. So the second thing that it does for us, we all understand that good things can become bad very quickly without self-control. It keeps the good gifts of God good, but it also protects us from the danger of our own desires. Number two, it, it protects us from the danger of our desires. Um, I remember in high school when I first heard about the Autobahn in Germany. The, the Autobahn highway system that's in Germany. And, and what, what's the Autobahn famous for? No speed limits. You can go as fast as you want to go, right? Well, I did a little research about it, and I found out that actually it's not completely true. There is 24% of the Autobahn highway system in Germany that does have permanent speed limits. Okay, so there, 24% of it has posted permanent speed limits. There are some portions of it that have seasonal uh, limits that, that don't stand all of the time, but the vast majority of it... Oh, at least 76% of it has no posted maximum speed limit. So you think, especially as a high school kid driving a car, you think, man, I want to go there. <laughs> right? I can go and I can drive as fast as I want to go and nobody can tell me not to. You know what the measured, um, a recently measured statistic of the average speed of people who drive on the Autobahn is 88 miles an hour. That's the average speed of everybody who drives on it. Now that seems weird to us, especially as Americans, because we're thinking, what are they doing? Why are they driving so slow <laughs> on, a, on a road where there's literally no speed limit? You know why? Because it's Stinking dangerous to drive that fast. It's dangerous. I don't, I, it doesn't matter if there's a sign or not. To drive 120 miles an hour anywhere is dangerous. I mean, a, a, a NASCAR driver will tell you to, to, to drive f way faster than that. It's like really dangerous. So why do people drive relatively so, so slow on a road where there's, where there's no limit? Self-control. There's nobody telling them they have to drive that speed. That's just the average. Now, of course, there's, some, there's probably maniacs who do drive 120 miles an hour. But then mostly, we know the average. There's, most people are going to stick to between 80 and 90. Truth is, most of, most of y'all drive that fast on the highway anyway. 
even when there's a speed limit. So that tells us that even with, even with limits, people still will try to control their speed because they want to be safe. There's, a, there's a, something in our nature that wants to, we want to protect ourselves, we want to be safe. Self-control does that for us in our spiritual life. Self-control is that thing that's in us that helps protect us from what will destroy us. I want us to go to James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look in James. Uh, James, I love the book of James. It's, it's so applicable and so straightforward. But look at verses 14 and 15 in chapter 1. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by the devil on his shoulder? No. By other people? No. When he is enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So death comes from sin. Sin comes from desire. And where does desire come from? Me. My desire comes from me. Now, are there outside elements that try to manipulate my desire or try to, try to entice me? Of course it does. But, but what James is saying here is that the sin that gives birth to death in me is because of the desires that come from inside of me. No one makes us do anything except us. As much as we would love to put responsibility for our actions on other people or other elements or other things, the truth here is that nobody makes me do anything except me. And you say, well, what are those things? What, what are those desires that's a part of our flesh? Well, we talked about them in the first series, if, you, if the first sermon. If you go back uh, a few verses in Galatians 5 up to verse 19, is that list that Paul gives. Verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy... Outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. He says these are the desires of the flesh and it's these desires that rise up in me, in my heart. And if, I don't, if, if self-control is not a part of my life, those desires will rise up in me. They give birth to sin and that sin when it's fully grown results in death. That's why we need a Savior. So these are the desires of the flesh that are in us and they are dangerous and they will destroy us. Self-control is our defense. Self-control is that thing that allows us to not be taken in by our own selfish desires Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. I love the New King James Version, the way it, it, it translates this. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city 
broken down without walls. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit, you know what that, that is? That's a, that's a picture of a life without self-control. Rule over his own spirit. There's, a, there's a, a, a power that we're given by the Holy Spirit to be able to control our passions, our desires. And without self-control, our lives are open to attack. It's literally, we are, we are like a city with no walls, without self-control. And there are lots of things that can come against us, right? They're, they're, the, the work of the enemy is real. Spiritual warfare is real. There are lots of circumstances and things and people that can come against us. But you know, I believe that Satan's greatest weapon against me is me. I think Satan's greatest weapon against you is you. And that's what James is saying. Because our desires are our desires, right? When you desire something, that means you want it. And it's really hard to say something, say no to something that you want, even when you know you shouldn't have it. That is why we need self-control. That's why the Spirit has given us self-control. I think of David. We are our own worst enemy. David, a man after God's own heart, chosen to be king of Israel. He's on his rooftop. And he sees Bathsheba and he sees her bathing. And in a moment, he let go of his self-control. And he began to look longer than he needed to look. And he lowered his walls. As this proverb would say, his walls of defense came down. And his own desire began to overtake him. And it opened the door to a series of choices. Pursuing his desire and choice after choice after choice ended up in destruction. In David's life. And so much of the destruction that we see in the lives of people and destruction that we see in our lives, the reason self-control is so important, such a precious gift from God, is that all of that destruction many times can be traced back to one choice. One decision. Where we just decided... We didn't have self-control. Or maybe our desire was so strong we didn't want to have self-control. Second Peter chapter 1 says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter gives a list in these verses of, of these virtues and he, and he pairs them up. And he says in verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith. So we've been, we have faith. We have faith in the Lord Jesus. It's, it's where our relationship with him, we, we're saved by grace through our faith. So we have faith. He says supplement your faith with something else. Well, what does supplement mean? Supplement means that you have what you have, but then you supplement it by adding something else to that in addition to it. That word for supplement here in this verse, that Greek word actually means to bring in besides. So, like, to have this, but then to bring in something additional and put it beside it, to, to join it together. So, like, insurance. We think about supplements for insurance. You may have a particular insurance thing, and it covers this much, but it doesn't cover that. So, you might take out something else as a supplement to add to what you have so that it covers more, right? So, we're, we're, we're familiar with what we do when we supplement something. So he gives this list. He says, supplement your faith with goodness. Let those work together. Let goodness, and then goodness and knowledge. Let those work together. Knowledge with self-control. So self-control and knowledge go together because knowledge is going to tell us what are the things that we need to have self-control about. So those have to work together. But then he says, self-control with endurance. That he says, once you, you, you have your grasp on self-control, don't just let self-control be by itself. Supplement self-control with endurance. Endurance is that ability to, to keep doing it, to keep going over and over and over. Way too often in my life, I might exhibit self-control in a moment and then get really proud and happy about it and get way too proud of myself and then the very next moment, I just fall into the same thing over again. And self-control and self-control in those instances can become the exception. That most of the time I'm going to fall into whatever it is, but as an exception every once in a while I'll show some self-control and I'll be able to resist it. But Peter says you need self-control to work together with endurance. So that you can repeatedly exhibit self-control in that area over and over. And enduring self-control. So that instead of self-control being the exception, self-control becomes the rule. You make sense? Amen. That, we're, that we're, we're supplementing our self-control with endurance so that it can become a, a constant work. Because verse 8 says, for if you possess these qualities... In increasing measure. You know how we possess these qualities in increasing measure? We practice. We practice all of these virtues. And the same is true with self-control. Self-control paired with endurance will make it the rule rather than the exception. You know, I think about um, 
those moments where we just kind of give in to self-control or we just set self-control aside and and it takes good things and becomes bad things. I remember over the holidays, one of the things about being a minister or a pastor at a church is over the holidays, people give you all kinds of food. Y'all give us food all the time. People bring food to the office and look, we're not complaining about it. We don't want you to stop. Keep doing it. Okay? Um, but I remember we, we got some cake over the holiday um, that, that someone had gifted us and it was a cake that their grandmother had made. It was a special thing and, and they had cut these slices and wrapped them up and gave them to us and we had them in our refrigerator. And it was, it was probably, I, I, I love everything that my wife bakes and cooks, but this cake was just probably the most good and perfect cake you know, we're talking about the good and perfect things that come from God. Like, this, this was probably some of the most good and perfect cake I've ever eaten in my life. It was just, it was just amazing. And I remember distinctly a certain night where it came home. It was late. It was like 10, 10.30. Do you all have moments at 10, 10.30 at night where you're like, I want something sweet? Yeah, you're like, I got to go to bed with, with sugar just sitting in my mouth. Like, and it was one of those nights, it had been stressful, and I was like, I want a piece of that cake. So I pull out a piece of that cake, and it was good and perfect cake. And so I wanted, and I was only going to eat a little bit to start with, right? I was just going to eat one. But man, it was so good and so perfect. I'm like, gum, I want another one of those. And I ate another slice of it. And then I went for number three, because it was just... That good. This is the thing. I'll pour, like, if I've got cake and milk, those are like, you know, those, that's like the two, the two punches that are going to knock me out. And if I, if I run out of cake before I run out of milk, I need more cake. I mean, that's the thing. If I, I've got a full glass of milk, and if I eat the cake, and I still have half a glass of milk, I need more cake to finish the milk, you know? And so, some of y'all are with me. You know what I'm talking about. It's not just me. And, and that was that moment. And very quickly after that, I was miserable. And I, I barely slept the whole night. And Kim, Kim knows that she's shaking her head because she remembers. Like, it was awful. I, I thought something, I had done something to myself. I was hurting. It was awful. And that's just one of those little practical examples of the good things in our life that, that without a, a, a practice and an enduring self-control can become really, really bad. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now that word sound judgment there is a little different from the word for self-control but they mean very much the same thing. Not the same word, but a very similar meaning. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's in us is a Spirit that has given us power. It's given us love, but He has also given us sound judgment. So we have no excuse. We don't have the excuse to say, well, I didn't, I didn't know better or I just couldn't resist. But there's good news. 
Because that sound judgment and that self-control that we need is not something we have to manufacture on our own. It's not something we have to figure out how to create over time. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The spirit of good judgment and love and power has been given to us. We've not had to earn it. We've not had to create it on our own. It's been given to us and it's there through our relationship with Jesus. I want us to go and look as we're, as we're sort of wrapping this up and seeing how self-control is what helps us maintain all of the other virtues and the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look again at the verses after verse 23 because for the past several weeks we've stopped at verse 23. But look at verses 24 through 26 with me. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with what? Its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. The good news is the life that is in you and the life of the Spirit that's in you has been given to you by Christ. And the reason I am alive, the reason you are alive, is because of the Spirit that's been given to us. It's not because we've figured anything out on our own. It's not because we've done anything on our own. The gift of the Spirit has been given to us, and the fruit of the Spirit is evidence that we belong to Christ. So when we see these fruits played out in our life, we, we can see that it's evidence of life that has been given to us, not life that we've earned. If you walk away from, from this whole series without anything else, know that these fruit, this, this picture of the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist. It's not a list of all of the things that you have to do and discipline yourself to do so that you can go to heaven and have eternal life. You have eternal life in you because of Jesus, not because of you. Don't read that list and say, well, I have, to, I have to make love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I have to figure all those things out so that I can have life in Jesus. No, what, what Galatians 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That list is there not to show you what you have to do to get life. That list is there to show you that the life that you have has been given to you. And since it's been given to you and that's the reason you're alive, walk in the life that you've been given. Because you're alive. You're not alive because of you. You're alive because of Jesus. So if you're alive because of Jesus, walk like it. Step in the life that you've been given, not trying to gain a life you don't have. An apple tree that never grows apples isn't an apple tree. 
Would you agree with that? If there was a tree out in the field, and I pointed to that and said, that's an apple tree. I told you it was an apple tree. I put a sign on it that said it was an apple tree, but it never grew an apple. It's not really an apple tree, is it? But what if I went and got some apples and took them to the tree and tied the apples to the tree? I could put plastic apples on the tree or I could go get real apples from another tree and bring them and put them on this tree. Then would it be an apple tree? Mm-hmm. You can hang whatever you want on it. You can hang a million apples on the tree and it will never be an apple tree. Because the way you know an apple tree is that it grows apples. We have to think about the fruit of the Spirit in this way. Where there is no fruit, there's no spirit. But where there is spirit, there will always be fruit. Okay? Where there's no apples, there's no apple tree. But when there's an apple tree, there will always be apples. Same thing is true for us. Where there's no fruit, there's no Holy Spirit. But where the Holy Spirit is, there will always be fruit. Trying to take these virtues and hang these virtues in our life won't make us a follower of Jesus. We can't come up with fake plastic versions of all of these virtues and then stick them to our life and try to gain eternal life from that. Because it's not real. But every follower, every true believer, every true follower of Jesus will bear all of these virtues of the fruit of the Spirit because Jesus is always the one that makes them grow. The Spirit bears the fruit. So the question I would have us consider and that I believe the Lord would have us consider is, is the Holy Spirit bearing his fruit in your life? Whatever whatever appearance of these virtues that you have in your life, where are they coming from? Are they coming from the spirit that's in you because you've trusted and surrendered your life to Jesus? And do you see these fruit, this fruit growing and coming out of you? Or have you been trying to find versions of those virtues and attach them to your life? Is the spirit bearing its fruit in you or are you hanging your own plastic fruit? In your life. Because that life that we have only comes from Jesus. It only comes from salvation. It only comes in the finished work of Jesus when he brings us from life to death. He sees us as sinners. 
bound by that sin, bound by our sinful desires with no ability to be able to free ourselves from it at all. And he comes and he lives a life of perfection. Lives a perfect life and then sacrifices, gives up that life as if he were a sinner. Dies on the cross as the substitute for my sin. And then offers me his righteousness in exchange for my sinfulness. And what I could never do on my own, he has done for me perfectly. And then offers me credit for his perfect life applied to me. So that now I can be seen as righteous before the Father. And my relationship with God is not broken anymore. It's only because of Jesus. That's where all life comes from. All life comes from him. You can't do it. I can't do it. It's only by faith. It's only by trusting in him as we've seen exhibited today. If you've never done that, it's another opportunity that he's given you to trust him. To bring life and then that life bears fruit.